Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you this day from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. There is no doubt that we are a people frustrated, perplexed, anxious, and even very afraid of what's going on in our world. Recent events like we have heard in the last weeks, like the mass shootings, have put people on edge. As we have heard this week about crowds overreacting at the sound of a backfire in Times Square and the mistaken sound of a sign falling in a mall that sent a crowd fleeing for fear for their lives. This last week I have also heard from many of you in various ways. And the underlying question is almost always the same. When and how does this stuff end? Even more, what I have heard is anger and despair. That we as the people of the United States cannot move forward in some way, in some sort of action in how we prevent these things from happening. And not to add salt to the proverbial wound, but I was reminded this week that over 50 people were killed in Chicago last weekend and we never heard a word about it. Does that mean their lives were worth less than others? 180 teenagers commit suicide every day, and it's not the top of our headlines. If you let yourself sink into all of this, it can be overwhelming. And I think what usually happens is that we think we can prevent these things from happening with our own individual beliefs and our own political leanings. But what has surely happened is that one side points to the other and wants to blame the other in our different ways of thinking or believing in how we can move forward. This is exactly where our freedom as American citizens, guaranteed by our Constitution, challenges us. And so because we have the freedom to think and speak differently than others, moving forward has eluded us. I heard a quote that has been stirring in my mind. It's attributed to Elie Wiesel. And he says, we must always take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. And, silences in, and silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. And actually a question that came to my mind as I was thinking about that was, when does the right of the one no longer outweigh the good for many. Now, I am sure that every attorney present here just had a nervous tick as they heard that. A rhetorical question, maybe. But the reality is, is that we already have simple laws that do this very thing. Stop signs and speed limits are an example. I certainly could drive 75 mile an hour down Minnesota Avenue, blowing through intersections with reckless abandon because I'm confident in my driving, and it surely would help my commute to work, but I don't get to do that, right? The law exists not specifically for my benefit, but for you, to protect you from me, right? So how do we begin to address our fears? our anxieties? How do we bring a sense of direction and a sense of understanding that we can move forward? The truth is, the law itself cannot 
prevent sinning. The law itself cannot and will not deal with sinful behavior in the way that we would want it to. And ultimately, the law will not bring comfort and peace that we seek. The reality is that more laws ultimately never change the pattern of human depravity, of human thinking, of human action. Lest I remind you of the story of Cain and Abel. Because very, from the very beginning of human history, at least since original sin separated us from God, there has certainly been strife between people or people groups. And since sin came into the world, so did death. And people have been really good at coming up with ways to put each other to death. Now we simply cannot say it is just about guns. Because we can look in other parts of the world where guns are not available and are illegal and people still accomplish this. And the ultimate truth of the matter is is that we blame God. We put God on trial for all of it. We ask God where he is when people are dying at the hands of others and we question why God does not intervene. The devil the tormentor, speaks his lies, and we, the tormented, believe him. We find ourselves spiraling in doubt, in fear, in unbelief. And so we pray, God, come and intervene. But God has already intervened in the human condition a condition that has fallen to such a lowly estate where the value of life means nothing, the value of human existence is cheap. A condition where the opinion of the other is stupid or dumb. At least that's what our political leaders say. We live in a world that ultimately does not want God to intervene. Because we cling to the idea that we can control sin and we can control evil behavior in the world. And so where does this leave us? Well, outside of God's grace and his mercy, we're doomed. This section of the Gospel of Luke is known as the season of the church. And it is the usual teaching during the season of Pentecost, which we are in, but I think it addresses an especially meaningful question for us today in what does it mean to follow Jesus? We are therefore at the heart of Jesus' teaching for us, if not for understanding our gift of salvation, but then at least the character of our lives as Christians and disciples, where you are called to listen to one another to care for one another. Last week we focused on the seductive power of wealth and how it divides us. This week we turn our gaze to the expectant trust that should be the foundation of our lives. The supporting texts from Genesis and Hebrew today both emphasize this greatest gift of strength that comes in faith, this gift that comes from God. And what it means for our Christian life and living by faith and trusting that God is exactly where he promised to be. 
Now, there's one verse in this text that we very easily can gloss over, and that, I think, speaks into our lives today. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid. It is the announcement of good news that occurs throughout Scripture. It occurs multiple times in telling Jesus' story to his people. It even occurred in our, God, in our Genesis text today. It is how God greets Abram before he gives him the promise. Do not be afraid. Typically, do not be afraid is the bold prelude to an announcement of what God is doing in his mighty and saving deeds. And I believe that for today, it is the starting and the anchor for us in today's text. It is God's good pleasure, his intention, his plan, his delight, his joy to give you his kingdom. And if this is true, then we can resist the seduction of wealth and we can trust that God is exactly where we need him to be. And that we would not fall prey to constant anxiety and worry about the events of our world. God is always exactly where he was promised to be and that is in his son Jesus Christ. This is where God gives you his kingdom, which is a promise. He gives you his word that he shows up where you need him to be. God is faithful to his promise. And then he prepares you to be ready, to be ready when evil strikes that you would trust in him, that you would have a voice to speak into this crazy world because Jesus Christ is the only way to deal with sin. There is no other. Jesus Christ even forgives you for believing the devil's lies, that he is not here. God shows up. And you are here today and you are hearing these words because God shows up. And you too are a part of his showing up because he gives you this gift of faith given to each of you in himself so much that you would have a voice to speak his love and his mercy to those around you that need to desperately hear this. And the Holy Spirit uses you to express God's love for all people. You that become the conduit for God giving his kingdom to those whom he chooses. And the watchfulness that Jesus commands is not anxious anticipation, but is an eager expectation of watching what God can do when we trust in him. What Jesus is lifting up is faith. Faith that frees you to be generous. Faith that enables you to leave anxiety behind. Faith that creates confidence in a future that is shaped and secured not by human endeavor, but by what God is doing. Now, Jesus does not hold faith out as a goal or as a model, but he actually speaks it into you when you trust in his word for you. It is like a parent who loves their child so deeply and desperately and wants only the best. And so it is God's good pleasure to give you this word. Promises create a shared expectation of a future that binds us together with the giver. 
Promises create relationships. Promises create hope. And Jesus Christ has given you this bold promise through the water and word of your baptism so that as you find yourself spiraling in anxiety and stress of all that is going on in our world, that you can cling to this word. That this word has claimed you and provides you with hope and a future. All of our Christian life, whether it be challenges with money, preparedness, care of our neighbor more, all that we are is anchored in the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the promises that we receive in baptism and has been accomplished by Christ's own death and resurrection. And it is God's good pleasure to give this to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. For Jesus Christ has shown up. Peace be with you all. Amen.